You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this week we are talking about Paul and Project Caster. We've talked about Paul before in the context of his being a monitor, but we have seen some expansion of who Paul is as a character since season two. Right. So as always, spoiler warnings apply. Everything through season two. Paul, I feel like the show hasn't had the best handle on what to do with Paul. Am I alone in that impression? Or do you have that impression as well? I don't know if it's I I don't know. I guess I agree with you in the sense that he was gone for about half of the second season. And it felt kind of weird to me. But I feel like he's just jumped around a whole lot in regards to his role on the show. Because he starts out and he's boyfriend of woman whose identity that Sarah has has stolen. And then it turns out, no, he's actually involved in the the clone project. And for, you know, an episode, he's Terminator Paul going after Sarah. And then he morphs into a bit of an ally. And then he, in the, in the second season, he comes and He's maybe still Sarah's ally, but deeply, deeply embedded within Dyad, whereas before it seemed like maybe he was going to go rogue. And then he just disappears, and we find out that he is part of Project Caster. I just feel like he's he's been a real roller coaster of a character. Yeah, but did you not think that was intentional? I don't... Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Because they had planned this thing out for like three seasons. So like when they started, they had it planned out for three seasons. So I always assumed that this was at least mostly intentional on their part that, you know, it it seems like Paul's goal essentially is to sort of reinvent himself or reposition himself for the best way to accomplish his, as it turns out, military goals, I guess. I don't know. I think they for sure intended the big reveal that Paul is involved with the military and there's this separate thing going on. I think for sure that was their intention. However, I don't know if the beats that they planned to get him there were as, I don't know, not, I should say they weren't well thought out, but it didn't go as smoothly as I think it could have. Like you said, he just sort of disappears in the middle of season two. So I don't know, it felt like they got a little stuck as how to maneuver Paul within the story effectively. I guess that's fair. He sort of actually he like disappears at the beginning for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And then he disappears again in the middle for a while. Yeah. It's like there are only 10 episodes. Where do you (laughs) go? He's still a main cast member. I don't I don't understand. Yeah, it it was just, especially in season two, it was very bizarre. You know, season one, I can, I'll I'll roll with it. You've got shifting allegiances and and all that stuff going on with multiple characters. But when it came to season two, I just thought, wait, what are they doing with Paul? Where's Paul? Because we see him, you know, protect Sarah initially in season two, where... In the first episode, Sarah breaks into Dyad and confronts Paul and hits him across the face with the gun, and he lets her go and says he'll make up an excuse. But then, later on, he is letting Rachel use him frame Felix for murder. Is that just an indication that Paul never liked Felix? Because <laughs> you'd think if he was still willing to protect Sarah, he would try to protect people she loved as well. Yeah, but then it's like, but at that point... 
I don't think he could really go against them. So I still get the feeling he doesn't really want to do it, but there's no choice, really, if he wants to maintain his cover at that point. But I I guess another thing that was missing for me was that clearly the reason he went absent from Dyad midseason was that he went back to the military. Right. I do feel like we missed out on that moment in the story. Yes. Why did he leave? What is it that happened that made that moment okay for him to go? Yes. Exactly. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like some of this other stuff might make better sense to me if I knew the reason why Paul felt like it was appropriate for him to leave his post and no longer be undercover and go back to the military. Much of Paul's season two appearances, now that I'm thinking about it, just kind of gave me anxiety. <laughs> is it just Is it just me? I don't know. I liked the Mrs. Paul International Bad Abs inter- interaction. <laughs> okay, that one, that one was good. That's true. But I just keep thinking about, you know, in the first episode, he shows up and like, he's holding Sarah at gunpoint for a second. And then, you know, he shows up and he frames Felix. And that scene was just so nerve wracking. And then the highly charged, difficult, problematic scene between him and Rachel. Yeah, he caused a lot of anxiety in season two. That's what I'm saying. And then even when he shows up again in, in his uniform and everything, and he's squaring off with Mrs. S. I just, I, I had a little anxiety about that, too, because, like, now he's in this new position, and what's going on? What's going on, Stephanie? I know. And see, here's another reason why I don't, I feel like I don't understand Paul's motivations, because y- y- you make the point that he frames Felix because he felt like he had no other choice in that situation, but not that far in the future, we see him colluding with Mrs. S, basically against Rachel and and Dr. Leakey. So I just uh, I just feel like I don't understand where Paul's head is at. Pretty much ever. <laughs> right. I'm trying to remember now when it is that he because at some point he starts getting sort of conflicting instructions from Rachel and from Leakey. Yes. So does that happen after the thing with Felix? Because that might be the moment where he realizes that there's like a little bit of flexibility where he can maybe use that to his advantage. I don't know. I'm trying to remember because there's that confrontation between him and Leaky at the end of 205, where he has followed Leaky to the bar where he meets with Sarah. That's true. And that is after that's right after he frames Felix. Exactly. And, and the thing with Rachel. But it's because I remember a conversation where Rachel is telling him that she outranks Dr. Leakey. I'm pretty sure that's a conversation she has with Paul. But then we see Paul talking to Dr. Leakey and Dr. Leakey says, you know, Rachel had you follow me. And subsequent to that, we see him reporting to Leakey in a, in, in a way that suggested he was giving Leakey information he wasn't going to give Rachel or was telling Leakey something that Rachel didn't want him to know. So it it did suggest that he wasn't really following Rachel's orders necessarily. He was reporting to Dr. Leakey, and then he was not really doing what either of them told him to do. Right. Well, wasn't the thing with Dr. Leakey, Dr. Leakey telling Paul that he was in charge of the monitors, essentially, because he's in charge of the clones. So, right. like, the monitors are supposed to report to him. So, 
there was the implication, like, you need to report to me about Rachel. So, anyway. But, but I mean, the fact that those things happened meant that he could exploit that weakness that there's a bit of a power play between Rachel and Leaky. So, maybe he felt more okay to disobey after he found that out. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I was still surprised that we saw at the end of season one where it seemed very very much like he might go rogue on Dyad, where he was setting up meetings between Sarah and, and Leaky and, and all that stuff, but then he got pulled back into the organization very quickly. Do you think, knowing now that he was being, he's undercover for, for the military within Dyad, do you think that was per the military's instructions when he was helping Sarah? Was that more of his own desire? Do you have any new thoughts on that? I'm still not sure. I guess... The only thing I can really think, too, is because Sarah is an unexpected occurrence, essentially, right? So they didn't plan for Sarah. So maybe he was trying to figure out how to work Sarah into the equation. But yeah, whether it was his idea or the military's, I don't know. But they did give him a promotion when he came back into the military. So, yes, you know. They didn't disapprove, I guess. <laughs> Paul's primary role in the series so far has been as a monitor, and he's now kind of been a monitor for three clones. I guess he wasn't really Sarah's monitor, but he's had monitor-type relationships with three different clones. And He monitored her without realizing she was a different clone. Exactly. So <laughs> yes and no. And in season two, we see him take the position as Rachel's monitor saying, but saying basically he doesn't have a choice in the matter. And I think that that whole situation was interesting to me because you got the impression that Rachel requested Paul be her monitor, right? I think so. Or maybe it was just, I don't know. I guess I did. Because Rachel, from what we see later in the season, has this tendency, it seems, to want whatever Sarah has or had, right? That's that's my thought, too, is was Paul's appeal... Because Rachel says Paul's appeal is that he knows Sarah really well, and Sarah is of interest to Rachel. But I get a competitive edge to Rachel's desire to have Paul as her monitor, especially in that, that sexual interaction that they have, where she very much seems to want to own him in a way. And she even mentioned Sarah in that encounter. Mm-hmm. But as far as, this is maybe a little bit of a detour, but I wanted to mention the two scenes with Paul that really stick out to me. The first one being in the first season, at the end of 105, when he has realized that Sarah is not Beth, and he confronts her with this information, and you know, he's holding a gun to her and says, where's Beth? And that scene, I feel like, is one of Paul's slash Dylan Bruce's best moments on the series. But at the same time, now that I know that Paul's an undercover agent, it makes me reconsider where he's coming from in that scene. If it was an act in order to gain Sarah's trust or... Are we seeing some actual anguish that being undercover, being involved in this project has created for Paul? Do you have any 
thoughts on that? I've wondered that too, because certainly in the moment, watching it for the first time, it seems kind of like he might actually be worried about Beth. Right. And it's not that I doubt that now. I just, there are so many more aspects to it now that we didn't have the slightest clue of in the first season. Namely, that Paul is actually undercover for the military and has those underlying motives, and that Beth knew more than we knew that she knew. (laughs) So, I guess that's part of what's confusing me now also, is what is it that Beth knew, and did Paul know that she knew any of that, do we think? I've wondered that too. But here's why I brought up that scene, because one of the th- lines that he has that really stands out to me in that scene is, I forget what Sarah says to him to make and say it, but the, one of the things he says is, they don't tell us why, in regards to why they are looking after these women. And the thing is, knowing now that he's undercover, he knew perfectly well why. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> so he's pretending to have less knowledge of the project that than we now know that he had. But you're right, though, that that scene is one of Dylan Bruce's best. And I think part of it is that he had to play it really ambiguously. Right. <laughs> and I always I always have to give credit to the people who have to do that, because they often don't even know, like, what their character's motives are necessarily. Not, yes. Not completely. Right. So they have to find a way to play it not quite neutral, but almost neutral. Right. <laughs> so... So kudos, Dylan Bruce. Mm-hmm. And then the other scene that I think is is one of Paul's bests is, sadly, when he's framing Felix. And just the ruthlessness that he projects in that scene, ruthlessness slash indifference that he pr- projects in that Ugh. scene is heartbreaking to see. It's so hard to watch that scene. Yeah. He, and, he and Jordan Gavaris did a really good job in that scene. I kind of love the little behind-the-scenes thing where they were talking about how they they had to hug it out after the yeah filming yeah cuz they're buddies <laughs> in real life so is there anything that you've gone back and rethought now that we know that Paul has been working undercover for the military this entire time everything <laughs> <laughs> something that i went back and rethought because this was something that i i know we talked about when we were discussing episode 106 variations under domestication where at the end of the episode you know paul's been terminator paul the entire time threatening sarah and at the end of the episode he is demanding that she tell him what's going on give him some piece of information yes i remember you were very bothered by the fact that he immediately disarms as soon as she says clones yes but given what we know now that he was undercover that scene makes more sense to me it's not entirely clear to me now, but it does make more sense why he would be so immediately willing to abort his plans to kill her from that tiny piece of information. Because he knew it was true. Yes. I think we did, in one of our first season episodes, I think we did float the idea that maybe Paul was, or that that Paul's blackmail was a setup, and that he was under- undercover. Didn't we talk about that? I do not remember at this point in time. <laughs> that feels like so okay. long ago. <laughs> it does feel like a really long time ago, but I'm 
I'm 90% sure I mentioned that as a possibility. <laughs> Probably. it. W- you're smarter than I am about such things. I just, I, I occasionally enjoy a television show conspiracy theory. <laughs> so it, it, were there any other moments like that for you that came into new focus? Uh, probably that one most specifically. I think, I think that explains in the first season finale why he decided to stay within Dyad. Right. Because there was a lot of sort of, he was, he was pretty flip-floppy during (laughs) the later part of season one. It's like, what side is Paul on? Yeah. And I think it was just Paul trying to figure out where to position himself to maintain sufficient cover, I guess. Well, because in after 107, after he helps Sarah, well, after Sarah helps him escape from Olivier, it seems like he's on the run from Dyad and trying to avoid them and, you know, saying we can't go back to the condo. And, and then suddenly at the in the season finale, he's there in Rachel's office again, like, wait a minute, Paul, you, <laughs> you were running away and you killed Olivier and trying to you know, pretend that you weren't in league with Sarah to Dyad, and then you're just in the building being all, I have no choice, Sarah. So, <laughs> but yes, I, I, mean, I like- I have no choice, Sarah. <laughs> that was terrible. I liked it, though. So yeah, I, I think that does, the fact that he's undercover and, and had a directive does make the fact that he goes back to them make more sense. But then it's kind mm-hmm. of like, why did then he did he kind of leave in the first place? I don't know. But I know, which is why I wonder if that might have just been some of his personal stuff directing how he was acting toward the end of season one there. Entirely possible. And yeah, I I think part of it is just being thrown that Sarah basically having new information and sort of not knowing what to do with the new information. Right. I guess. Season two reveals, of course, that Paul is actually working undercover for the military. And getting information about Dyad for for Project Caster, I presume. What type of information do you think he was collecting for them? Well, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> because, I mean, obviously, Project Caster was successful in the sense that we have seen clones. But I, I don't know that we've seen enough of the clones or of the project to determine anything about what more it is they need. Because obviously they need something, because they've kidnapped Helena, those jerks. (laughs) (laughs) That was me censoring myself. (laughs) Down to jerks. Yeah, because they have successful clones, whereas... Well, I guess that's a question. The the caster clones seem to be younger than the Lita clones. But... Does that mean that they have access to the genome that they used for cloning, unlike Dyad? Because, you know, Leaky, if we couldn't believe him, Leaky revealed that the the map to successful cloning was destroyed in that fire, and they have failed to produce a clone since then. Is Project Caster in the same position? Were they trying to see if secretly Dyad did have a working genome for a clone? Hmm. I tend to think not because the again the Project Caster clones are younger, which suggests they're working they're working separately. Obviously, not the same genome because they're different different clones. Right. 
But the fact that you're right, though, the fact that they've produced clones after, or at least theoretically after the one for Lita had been destroyed. That is interesting. Now that you mention it, because we know that Marion Bowles got information in the great exchange of 210 (laughs) is apparently what I'm naming it. Go for it. I like it. So that that might be a good point, that maybe they want that to determine how they made, how they successfully produced new clones, since that seemed to be a problem, since they only managed to create Charlotte after the initial batch of Lita clones. So that could be why Dyad would want information about Castor, but why would Castor send Paul into Dyad is what I'm wondering. No, I'm wondering that too. It's just that I don't know that we've seen enough of right. Caster to make any real speculations. Right. Unless it's just a general report card type of situation, like go and make sure they're still struggling with that whole genome thing. I don't know. Because then we have the whole issue of Topside, which seems to be overlooking both projects. I think so, but I'm not totally sure. Because if Marion Bowles is Topside... Why did she need to make a deal with the caster people? That's true. That's true. So maybe Topside so is I'm just... I'm pretty confused about this. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe Topside is just overseeing, ultimately overseeing the Project Lita project. <sighs> yeah. This is... It's really fuzzy area. A really fuzzy area when it comes to... Because she has a caster clone in her... Basement. Basement Like or everybody whatever. does. I do. <laughs> I know I've got a fancy holding cell in my basement. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a basement. I live in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't basements in Texas. Anyway. <laughs> but back to clones. <laughs> what now? I said back to clones. <laughs> clones, you say? Clones. <laughs> it's true. Clones. What are those? <laughs> Genetic identicals, if that makes it more clear. Oh. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I don't acknowledge the C word. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. But yes, what does Project Caster need from Dyad? Because if it was how they were running their organization, that's the other thing I can think of is how they were framing the experiment, maybe. But I don't know that Project Caster is structured the same way that Project Lita is, having the clones out in the world, being raised by different families. I suspect it's more of a producing soldiers type of project. Right. Well, the three we saw were all soldiers, or had been at one point. So, yeah, that makes sense. And of course, thinking about it now, I wonder if it is that Castor needed information from Dyad, or if they were just, like, investigating them somehow because we know lots of shady shady stuff goes on at dyad so if caster's like a government thing would that would that be part of it would they be looking into the illegal activities or something in which case why paul is a monitor i don't know i don't know i'm I'm just creating more questions, which is apparently what we do on the podcast now <laughs> well okay and going back to what i was saying but if the caster clones aren't, I think we have indications that the caster clones aren't raised self-aware because Mark doesn't seem to know that he's a clone, or at least Graham and John's comments indicate that Mark doesn't know that he's a clone. 
So does <laughs> to be fair, there was no indication in the show yeah. that he knew. True. So that indicates to me that the caster clones aren't necessarily being raised, knowing that they're clones made for the purpose of being soldiers. So does that mean that military families are raising the clones? I, uh, how is Project Caster structured? Hmm. And how many clones could there possibly be if they don't know that they're clones? Because the military is not that huge, is it? That they can successfully hide them from each other? I guess they would send... I guess it could be. <laughs> they could send them to different places in the world, I guess. That is, I guess, an advantage of the military is that they know where they are and they can send them places. <laughs> like, you know, don't have him come through wherever because that clone is stationed there. You know, send him there. So they're like clone flight controllers where they're <laughs> steering them around each other. That's my that's is my somehow guess. the mental image that I got when you were saying that. <laughs> but I'm just yeah, I'm just I'm just guessing in regards to how Project Caster is 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 structured. We just got so little information. Just the idea that they exist. That's pretty much all we know is that it exists and it seems to be a different set of clones involved in the military. That's it. So, so rampant speculation. Rampant <laughs> speculation in this episode. Hiatus madness. <laughs> so Project Caster, what the heck? How's it structured? What is they? What do they want from Dyad? And then the question of Topside, which I think you make a good point. I don't think we have indication that Topside is in charge of Project Caster. But what does it mean that it wasn't Dyad controlling the Project Leader experience? Experience? The pro- <laughs> That's the name of my next band. The Project Leader. <laughs> what is- I like it. <laughs> what does it mean that they weren't controlling the pro- Dyad wasn't controlling the Project Leader experiment, that it ultimately was controlled by Topside? Because the suggestion was Topside's made up with a bunch of different companies, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Or at least people who represent a bunch of different companies. There's more of a commercial aspect, I guess, to the people controlling the Alita experiment. But I didn't think that was off the table, the fact that it could be a commercial experiment as well, when Dyad was supposedly in, tr- in charge of the project. Right. Since that seems to be what Dyad is. So. Yeah. But perhaps this is what the... Informa- the new information is delineating is the different motivations or potentially different motivations between the two projects, a commercial experiment versus a, I don't know, non-commercial, a government experiment. Rampant speculation. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just have so many questions, Stephanie. <laughs> it's a good thing season three will be here soon. Yes, so soon, comparatively. <laughs> <laughs> once you once you wait a certain amount of time, it's just like, oh, well, at least it's less than half now. <laughs> well, it's almost February. The show premieres in April. You know, how far from February to April? Two months. That's it. Just two. That's not bad. Ignoring the fact that it's actually closer to three. But, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't... What... What are you shushing? I didn't say anything. So what do we think the purpose of Project Caster is then? Do we think it's to have cannon fodder, essentially? That's the best... I shouldn't say it like that. That's mean. That's mean. But that's the best bet that I have, is that it's it's there to create soldiers that can be used in 
in battle because there's been perhaps it's a reaction to push back against the draft because when was the photograph from uh, the project lead a photograph from 73 74 i think it was later than that i want to say it was like 77 okay but it was in the 1970s so we would have had Vietnam would have been something very fresh. And there hasn't been a, a draft in the United States since Vietnam. So perhaps it was a reaction to that, the the fact that the, the draft became an, this unpopular idea in, in the United States slash, I, sh- I can't speak for Canada. I know nothing about the draft in Canada or if they even had one. But perhaps it was born out of that that need that, oh, we might, there might come a time where we need soldiers and we can't get people to sign up fast enough. Right. So then, of course, if that is the purpose, and I know this is often speculated about too, since you're essentially creating, building a human being, do we think they're modifying them or attempting to modify them? Turn them into super soldiers in a way? Yes. I think that is a distinct possibility. This was something we were sort of speculating about with Helena before, because, of course, Helena seemed fairly unkillable and still seems fairly unkillable. So I know they've explained some of it, but still, the massive blood loss. Right. Can you tell I'm hung up about the massive blood loss? I can tell. Even though the Neolutionists were situated within Dyad, I still think it's a very distinct possibility that through the clone project, they're hoping to tweak these individuals so that they are, you know, hardy, hardier, healthier human beings that would be more suited for, for battle. Which incidentally seems to be what the Neolutionists wanted. Not the Neolutionists, the Prolethians. The Prolethians seem to also, or at least the farming Prolethians. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, Never mind. That, that was a big chain of people and I got confused what you were talking about. <laughs> Because we're talking about, like, genetically modifying, but they're, the Prolethians are, like, selectively breeding mm. now that they've got Helena's, they've harvested Helena's eggs. and Anyway, never mind. Okay. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> you mentioned that they took Helena. Do you think that they wanted Helena specifically, or did they just want a Lita clone? And that was the clone that Mrs. S was willing to give them. I've been wondering about that. I would not be surprised if Helena was sacrificed, essentially, by Mrs. S. Meaning that they just wanted any clone? Yes. Okay. I don't know that that's the case, obviously, but I don't know. Part of me wonders if that's what happened. Just because, you know, if I was in Mrs. S's position, I think, I don't know, I guess just the fact that Helena's the most unpredictable... She'd be the one I would worry about as an outsider. Right. You know what I mean? Because, like, having watched the show, we know that Helena is actually, as as terrifying as she is, she's actually rather protective of, of Sarah and Kara and everything. But I don't think that Mrs. S knows that, you know? I, I think Mrs. S still thinks of her as an unpredictable, dangerous person. The person who kidnapped Kira and got Kira hit by a car. Yeah. And I think even if Mrs. S did know that Helena was and could be protective of Sarah and Kira, I think she would still think she was too much of a risk to have around. Or at least she was enough of a risk that she was willing to 
make this trade and and get rid of Helena in a sense. And the rest of them have family other yes. than the clones. So yes, but you know she likes Allison. I don't think she would sell Allison up the creek, and she hasn't met Casima. I don't believe. So of the of the ones that she's met, I, Helena just seems to be the the one easiest to give to the the project caster people. But she was involved in the effort to save Casima. So Mrs. S. Yeah. With with Kira and the bone marrow? Ah, yes. I just can't remember if we ever saw them meet. I don't think we did. No, I don't yeah. think so. But she's she's met Delphine. Yeah, that's true. A few times, but... Doesn't trust that Delphine, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm curious how the plot lines involving the Project Caster clones are going to evolve. I'm curious if we'll see Mark again, or if that little piece of storyline will be let go in favor of focusing on the project caster clones that you know that Marion Bowles has in her basement and and maybe the one that we see who's in the the military with where wherever Helena is is do you have any any thoughts about what they might do there or any desires about what they might do my not remotely bold prediction is that we will be seeing Mark again i i feel like that is is probably true because it feels like they let Mark and Gracie go with a purpose. You know what I mean? The story writers, I mean. Yes. Because we saw them right off into the sunset and get hitched. And I don't think we've seen the last of them. Because that's just too juicy of a storyline to let go of. Especially since Grace is is carrying one of Helena's children. You know, I, it just doesn't seem reasonable that the writers wouldn't come back to Mark and or Gracie. Exactly. Because that's just a perfect little situation to have Mark figure out that he's, find out that he's a clone and throw that all into, into chaos, potentially. Mm-hmm. Because, man, what's that going to do to him psychologically? Mm-hmm. Especially given all the stuff that he did in the second season. And we did get some listener feedback. Aaron, who is Psychoflop on Twitter, says, I think they're sterile. So apparently, I'm assuming Aaron is not talking about Paul. <laughs> I have a feeling Aaron is talking about the, the caster clone. Because that was my other thought as to why they might have taken or wanted to take Helena specifically. The fact that she and Sarah are fertile clones. But again, I could feel, be. I feel like it was just convenience that that put helena in their path poor helena i know poor helena but again like at least helena can take care of herself yeah watch out project caster military people <laughs> but i guess the question would be do we think that they want the clones to become not sterile would that even be a motivation for them to want helena and or sarah specifically i don't know it, it might be beneficial in regards to these particular clones, that they are sterile. Yeah, I don't know. Because the Duncans designed the the Lita clones to be sterile, and so I think it's reasonable that the Caster clones would have been designed to be sterile as well. So, but I, I guess we do have this question of what is the relationship between 
Project Lita and Project Caster. It did is Caster working off of Project Lita's original research, and therefore maybe this whole sterile by design thing isn't something the runners of Project Caster want themselves. It's just something that was built in when they got this information. I, I am curious if this whole thing about fertility will even be an issue for the Caster clones. Yeah, I don't know, and and of course, I mean as. Project Caster seems to be designed around creating soldiers. I don't know that it would be necessary for them to make them not be sterile, to make them fertile. Like it's also known as fertile. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other bit of feedback that we got from listener Franzi, who whose Twitter name I do not know how to pronounce, M O E H R. S-C-H. And Franzi said, so here's an interesting fact about Frankfurt. There are two buildings called Castor and Pollux. Hence, it would make sense to see Delphine there, though I hope not. And that's interesting. Castor and Pollux, of course, are the twins, the mythological twins. It's Greek, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. And okay, I just had to look it up because I was curious. She's meaning there are two high-rise buildings in a district of Frankfurt called Castor, spelled with a K because Germany, and Pollux. But yes, Castor and Pollux. Castor, of course, uh, being we, we has been named in the show from Project Castor, and then Pollux is Castor's twin from Greek mythology. And of course, they're the sons of Leda, which, of course, Project Leda. So of course, now we're wondering, you know, is this a deliberate thing? I mean, presumably it's deliberate, right? Why else would you happen to name it Project Caster? And we've if we've wondered before, it does this these names indicate the relationship between the two projects, the the fact that Project Caster is a descendant, so to speak, of Project Lita. Does that mean that there's some sort of relationship between the clones that the two projects produced? Also, if it's Project Caster, does that mean that there is also a Project Pollux? I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> Am I just messing you up now? A little bit. A little bit. I hope not. I'm I just want the two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Project Caster is like just regular soldiers, and then there's like a special elite thing called Project Pollux where they're trying to create the super soldier. Hmm. Hmm. Because because Caster was the mortal twin, but Pollux was the demigod. So like well, Zeus that- was well, I was going to say that varies from story to story. Who That's true. Was the, who was the demigod and who wasn't? But generally, yes, it is. It is sometimes listed that one of them was a demigod and one of them was was mortal. But part of one of the bigger stories, I guess, with Castor and Pollux is that Castor is killed or almost killed, and so Pollux basically pleads with the gods to save. Caster. So what they end up doing is splitting Pollux's immortality between the two of them. Mm. So, FYI, yeah, bit of bit of mythology there for you. Yeah, I'd forgotten that one. I learned about the Caster and Pollux myth from Face Off. <laughs> I haven't seen Face Off, so eh, you're not really missing much. Yeah, I, I saw part of it and was kind of like, eh. I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. It's not a terrible movie, but it's not exactly a must must see flick. Anyway, and and of course, uh Dr. Duncan, Dr. Ethan Duncan was referred to by Helena as the Swan Man, which we 
assume is a reference to Zeus, who disguised himself as a swan when he met up with Leda. So he was involved with Leda, but not with Project Castor, as far as we know. And of course, Zeus was the father of Pollux, but not Castor. So that was just a bit of random me going, huh, this lines up kind of. (laughs) But do we think it's possible Duncan was involved in Project Castor? I suppose that's true. He could be. It seems unlikely. It seems like he's been in hiding since the whole lab explosion thing. But I was going to see. It, it seems like there's no indication right. that he has been. But yeah. but yeah, we don't know. There could be any number of reveals that happen in season three or four or whatever that uh, just completely throw us off <laughs> on any number of, of uh, things that we've said so far. <laughs> But we'd love to hear your theories about both Paul, Project Caster, and even Topside. You can tell us those by leaving a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 55. You can also send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right hand side of our website. Or you can give us a call at 972-514-7223. We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And this week, Germany was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. I was going to suggest that exact thing. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, she should play Germany. She should play Germany.